Hi, guys, and welcome back to The Climate Lawyer, a podcast about the business and law of climate change for lawyers, people who work in the industry, and the climate curious. I'm your host, Rich Kim, an American lawyer at Clifford Chance, Germany, a member of our firm's Climate M&A team. Today, we're going to talk about the intersection of tech and climate in an episode we're calling The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. For that, I'm joined by two awesome guests from our London office, Jamie and Laura. Would you guys like to briefly introduce yourselves? Sure. I'd, I'd like to make clear that that title, I have been told I've got face for the radio, but hopefully that title is not referring to me. I'm Jamie Andrew, technology lawyer in the London team. My day job really is to help organizations and businesses to navigate the challenges of intersecting overlapping, innovative regulatory regimes, particularly the last three or four years have been the GDPR, particularly where organizations are taking over huge resource sets from other organizations and then providing it services back to the customer in question. And you're definitely in the good category, Jamie, for for the record. My voice may be good, but I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll leave that to my uh, Scottish upbringing. (laughs) And Laura? Hi, everyone. My name is Laura Diarroyo Garcia, and I'm also a member of the TMT group here in London and part of the Clifford Chance Ignite scheme, which is the firm's training contract with a focus on tech. I've worked on a number of tech for good projects over the years, from climate tech for sustainable farming to coding algorithms to improve biofuel production. So I have a particular interest in emerging technologies and their place in the world. So yeah, very excited to be here. Thank you, Rich, for having us and looking forward to the discussion today. Wow, awesome. And safe to say you're both bringing the the big tech energy too. Excellent. So, okay, as some of our listeners may know, there's a really big and promising field now called climate tech which we'll take a closer look at in future episodes. Laura, you just mentioned that too, of course. Before doing that though, I think it would be useful to focus on tech more generally and see whether there are important trends or takeaways that can also apply to the climate tech world. There's been a lot of criticism of tech and we'll get into that, but starting with quote unquote, the good before getting into the messy stuff, I think everyone has their own view about the positive aspects of tech. But I want to ask, what are your guys' views on what's good in the tech world? Thanks, Rich. And it's nice uh, to hear another optimistic lawyer. You don't get too many of them like myself. But I think big thing for me is better decision making. Using data to make decisions and be more clever and, and thoughtful about how we make decisions. And I mean, in the climate space, it's It's competing resources, competing wants and desires. So it's how to do more with less, being efficient, driving efficiencies and and really using data to make decisions that benefit people in the best way. And also at the same time, helping to drive social inclusion. And I think my second big good of technology is that social inclusion. Now, There's some clear examples, some really good examples in the financial inclusion space where access to smartphones in in the developing world have given people the opportunity to access and and, and to interact with each other in ways that underlying technology would have taken years to get there. 
giving people access to banking services to anyone with internet access. I mean, you look at traditionally disadvantaged groups and one of the key issues that they face is being able to be financially independent and having deployed technology so that you no longer have to have a fixed address so you don't have to have to go into the bank that you don't have to provide some of this information that was ordinarily locking people out is really driving social inclusion and, and financial inclusion and i think technology have used well and thoughtfully and it's the onus is it's always a difficult thing <laughs> to use things thoughtfully and well can really solve or at least mitigate some of the harms out there and hopefully build us towards a better world, not a utopia, but a better world. Thanks, Jamie. And, and Laura, I mean, I guess on some of what you're bringing up, I'll, I'll put a pin on these and circle back. But I guess before doing that, Laura, do you have kind of particular good aspects that you'd want to flag? Yeah, I think there's two sort of main aspects for me. I think the key one to flag is integration. Tech has, you know, it's it's unlocked opportunities to bring major advantages to our everyday lives. You know, it's helping produce new products and new services, and it's essentially transforming the way we live our lives today, from the way that we travel to the way that we work, the way we do our grocery shopping or access to medical care. So I think what's fundamental here is that tech is really now embedded into every sector, agriculture, healthcare, energy, you name it, right? And we've seen, particularly since the pandemic, an exponential growth of the digital economy, which you know has companies thinking about how they can better reach consumers, how they can better deliver the services more effectively than ever before. And tech has been fundamental to sort of thrive in this period. So, you know, it's nice to see sort of most companies considering how they can harness technology and AI to sort of make better decisions, as Jamie has already mentioned. And I think this next generation of technologies will sort of make the first software revolution quite pale in comparison, just because of the scale and scope of this integration across many different sectors. And I think the second main point for me is that we're starting to see more and more companies, including tech companies, using tech to sort of take tangible action on their impact on the environment and the communities that they serve. So there's a, a growing number of companies considering how they can use and implement tech to, you know, to improve their supply chains and sort of use their inputs more effectively, you know, their energy usage, the water consumption, material use. And, you know, it's essential that they sort of evaluate how they can use these developments to minimize their impact on the environment, biodiversity and the communities that they interact with. I think what you're both getting at, and it's kind of like a little bit of a source of tension in a way is under this description, it's like responsible growth, essentially, that as tech, you know, as tech companies grow larger, as they play more of a role in different aspects of society, that it's like the kind of this assumption that companies are trying to do that in a responsible way. But I think it's pretty clear that in a lot of instances, the kind of incentives or the way that tech companies, in fact, do operate can be problematic with growth, right? That, you know, when you're looking to grow very quickly in the tech world, there are issues with like misinformation on platforms, right? With 
kind of negative effects to society from this kind of like ethos of, you know, kind of growing quickly at, at all costs. And what do you guys think of that out of curiosity? I think, and it's the move fast and break things mentality. I think with any development of something and, and, and technology is, is not only changing, but it's accelerating growth. So it's changing faster every day. I think you're right that there are some really good examples out there of technology and we can talk a little bit about that uh, in more detail. But and something that Laura and I look a lot at is, is ESG and the implementation of tech within that. And I think you're right that there is always a tension between growth and shareholder value, which fundamentally and legally was the way in which corporates and organizations had to structure. That was their mandate and to act in any other way would be problematic. And where we're seeing, and I think there's there's a shift now, especially within the ESG movement, is is an idea and a realization that stakeholders are much greater than just your shareholders and the value of the company. And in fact, even looking at it from a narrow perspective, that short-term profits versus long-term profits, if you are doing something in the short term that is generating significant returns, but is causing externalities, then over time, the regulators will catch up, your competitors will catch up. Maybe this is me being too optimistic again. Consumers will start to make choices based on their understanding of your business practices and how you are are doing that. And you, you've seen that in a backlash from a lot of organizations. Their current business practices haven't been appropriate and they've been penalized from consumers and by the market on share prices. But it is a slow process. And I think that's where you need strong regulatory oversight in areas and targeted regulatory oversight. There's challenge there to convince a group of people that what they're doing that is most profitable short term isn't what they should be pursuing. You know, I'm also thinking about this in the context of the, the climate tech world, and it seems that climate tech almost has the opposite problem in some ways that a lot of startups and companies that are focused on climate tech, it often requires a lot of upfront investment, requires pretty substantial level of proof of concept and longer time horizons before you know, companies have these kind of go-to-market strategies. And I guess that, you know, the opposite example can also be problematic too, where, you know, growth can be really slow and and difficult in light of a a really big problem that we're facing and actually maybe this could could use a lot some of the tech ethos around growing and scaling as quickly as possible to face problems that we're encountering society yeah and i think a key aspect of all of this as well is sort of communication and transparency right because at the end of the day you kind of want to let your users or final customers know what's going on. Because I think what I've been seeing more and more so over the years is the fact that, you know, customers are expecting a lot from the brands that they support. And they're really considering sort of, you know, what's in it for me? What is this company doing for me? So it's no longer just about short-term gains and sort of keeping investors happy. It's also about sort of building that community and, and communicating with the people that at the end of the day are sort of supporting you. And I think historically, we haven't been very good at communicating and I'm hopefully we'll sort of build on that as time goes on. I guess in 
in what you're saying though with transparency i think there's a certain element of credibility right because climate tech for example it seems to be kind of subject to a lot of aspects of the tech world too when it comes to hype and overvaluation you know yeah. like for example some of these companies that are in the climate tech space that get these insane valuations i mean albeit that now there's a market correction underway but you know pretty intense valuations without having an actual product i think a key i guess notion in this context is are companies doing really what they claim to be doing and i think more and more so we're you know we're scrutinizing companies on that basis great i think this is kind of getting to the other end of the spectrum now and um, you know I'm, I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here in a way so okay we're covering a lot of the good so far with uh, some caveats and jumping to the other end of the spectrum what do you both think about when it comes to quote unquote the bad in the tech world in addition to what we've kind of mentioned so far I think the key theme that has stuck with me, particularly over the past year, is this issues around, you know, transparency with users and poor governance sort of continuing to be entrenched in, in all of this. And I think we've seen quite extreme effects of this on, on democracy and society. For example, the Facebook files and, 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 you know, what came out last year about the outrage algorithm. So you know, we're seeing more and more misinformation being put out online and sort of toxicity and violent content being more and more prevalent. And I think it can be very difficult to achieve content moderation, but it's even more complicated when the financial incentive is aligned with misinformation. And, you know, Facebook's outrage algorithm, I guess, is, is a good example of knowing about the flaws in a platform and sort of lacking the will to to address these sort of issues and making decisions to put a company's financial position before the safety and well-being of the users. And I think the outrage algorithm is a really good example of technology amplifying. For me, technology can really amplify and, and create acceleration and, and make something bigger without much input, so in effect, sufficiency. And it's a real good example of technology inflating something or amplifying an issue because there is an ongoing challenge in media. And I think you've seen it if you look at the, the style of media, that ultimately the model for mainstream media as well is that it's an advertising model. And, and there are some organizations that are moving away from that. If you're an advertising funded model, then the way in which that you make your revenue is by selling effectively eyeballs. So the more eyeballs that are looking at your media, the greater you can sell to your advertisers and therefore the more successful your business can be. And I mean, mainstream media has been under cost pressures as, as everyone else does. And there's also, there's a competition because there's a lot more things for us to do with our lives than there used to be. And I think the Facebook outrage algorithm is an example of of this loop where we're effectively creating sensationalism and creating things that capture our attention. Because as I said, the, the world is constantly competing for our attention, especially the digital space. One of the beauties of tech is the feedback loop, but if spun the wrong way, so to speak, then you have some really significant issues. 
you know, I think a common defense in the tech world is, well, I mean, first you can even point to legislation like uh, Section 230 in the U.S., which is the portion of the Communications Decency Act, which basically says that platforms are not responsible for the content that is posted on their platforms that they're, they're not creating. But, you know, I'm also thinking about like the value drivers here, because I, I think this this really gets to a very powerful force in the tech world that it's almost like if you are unlocking or tapping into something about human psychology or developing like a direct relationship with a consumer and what's now the the attention economy, it's a really powerful thing, right? And, you know, I guess if you kind of analogize this to the climate tech world, I mean, there's certainly aspects of that that apply there too, but it's almost like in climate tech, we're also trying to kind of tap into aspects of nature and science too, when we're considering how we are going to reduce and capture emissions, for example. Yeah, absolutely. You're trying to use, because tech is is ultimately agnostic, but it it allows you to amplify returns or allows you to amplify reward or whatever you want to amplify. You've just got to point it and design it in the right way. I'm hoping that this is a major takeaway, major takeaways that we're coming from, you know, our experience in the tech world so far, experience with tech so far is, you know, to think about tech and the deployment of tech in a kind of systems thinking that applies to, okay, like how does this operate as part of a as part of society and you know what are the things that we can can tap into that are that have these really powerful effects but i guess like you both have been saying in a responsible way yeah and i think responsible design and innovation feeds right into that right just sort of factoring in you know these sort of questions right into the heart of technology that we're designing you know how are we minimizing abuse and how are we sort of protecting the communities that we're effectively serving at the end of the day how are we you know protecting children and these sort of questions which i'm sure we'll touch on but yeah i think it's definitely key to have these things into consideration when developing new technologies okay so now let's get to the fun part <laughs> to, to me. Uh, well, I mean, this is, this has been really fun so far, but to me, the quote unquote, the ugly represents like kind of like the messy middle parts, the parts that are neither really wholly good nor bad, just complicated under that definition. What would you, you both say is, is the ugly when it comes to tech? I mean, no, no value judgment here, but you know, under the definition of like complicated. Apart from me being on this podcast, but I'll leave that for your <laughs> listeners to decide. I think there's often a challenge in technology with intention and consequences. And a really good example of that was uh, in Europe, in the Netherlands, where one of the ubiquitous now food delivery apps wanted to develop a solution to determine how to allocate jobs and effectively therefore compensation. So they thought that looking to be meritocratic, that they would assign riders shifts on the basis of a reputation ranking that scored riders according to the cancellation history and whether they logged on to the booking system early. Now, 
the intention there was to give the best riders the best opportunities to secure the best shifts. But ultimately, the challenge, and this is design bias and algorithmic bias and the issues of, of failing to think fully through and therefore and then ultimately mitigate it was that it didn't actually distinguish between riders who had unjustifiably failed to log in and riders who had failed to log in for objective and legitimate reasons. So they had health issues or childcare issues. And the court in that case ruled that that was actually an indirect discrimination because it deprived some of their riders' basic rights and their capacities employees. And it's a good example of you can see why organizations might want to design a system that encourages good behavior, but if not fully and thoughtfully deployed, you can actually end up punishing groups of society that are underserved or are disadvantaged naturally just by thinking from a narrow basis what good means and what success is. So it's it's a good example, I think, of that challenge of actually designing something and then testing it before then rolling out. And I think, Rich, it goes to one of your points earlier that you're talking about how the challenge about rush to market and getting out there and iterating it, and that's a very tech way of delivering things. But ultimately, where you are doing things that have significant impact or outsized impact, then there is a need to do appropriate testing within the environment, especially in these environments where regulatory approval and oversight is never going to catch up straight away. So there's this challenge and there's always been a challenge where you try and encourage firms to self-regulate, but there is a need to do that, especially within the tech space. The law of unintended consequences. Absolutely, yeah. And Laura, how about you? What do you think about kind of a messier part of the tech world? I think an element that I've been sort of paying close attention lately is how we can factor in the just transition into how tech operates. We've seen a trend of the richest half of the world's country emitting up to 90% of the global CO2 emissions and the richest 1% of the world being responsible of more than twice the amount emitted by the poorest 50% of the world's population. And the, the stats are just absolutely staggering. And the thing is, I don't think this trend exists only between countries. It also, you know, we've seen it time and time again within countries as well. Um, Just in the UK, black communities in London are more likely to breathe illegal levels of air pollution than white and Asian communities. And um, also another sort of key notion for me that is essential to incorporate in tech development is, you know, how tech and climate techs can integrate women and sort of their limitations and how, you know, address the fact that women have increased vulnerability to climate change than men. It's clear that in some communities, women are responsible for domestic duties. So as climate change increases the frequency of natural disasters, they take on increased workload, they increase caring for their communities or having to drop out of school to help their families. You know, we're also more vulnerable to climate disasters. We've seen higher domestic violence, sexual intimidation and abuse in times of climate conflict. And I think, you know, a key question 
here would be how can we make sure that the techs that we're developing are, are catering for these sort of issues and we got to make sure that we're developing techs that are accessible for everyone not just a few right i mean i i think this is i mean really great points that you're bringing up laura and there certainly is a lot of data to back up essentially what you're saying about vulnerable communities having a disproportionate burden when it comes to to climate i mean also as another further example like there was a study in the us of uh, communities of color it being actually warmer in neighborhoods where there are neighborhoods for communities of color and of kind of lesser means than it is in in richer neighborhoods and you know i think what you're getting at too is of course like most of tech the main goal for for climate tech is democratization and and access but there's just a lot of friction in the system that makes that difficult like in in the climate tech world there's also i mean there's the costs there's regulatory hurdles there's kind of very sticky and cheap incumbent technologies there's there's cultural inertia too around kind of people sticking with the status quo versus taking the the immense time that it might take to switch to home electrification options or even uh you know doing the research or having having access to that i think that there there still is kind of a lot of hurdles that we see in the climate tech world that are kind of representative of some of the hurdles that we also see in in tech too when it comes to achieving democratization and and access okay so Thank you very much, guys, for so far. On this podcast, we like to keep things positive or end on a, on a more positive note. So I would say, what is something about tech that's also making you you hopeful, actually? I'd be kind of curious to, to hear what that is. From my perspective, and on the theme of social inclusion, there's been some really good examples of businesses and there's one particular one in china it's now the number one bank in china we bank it's serving over 200 million customers 100 million of which were previously underserved and it's, it's leveraging technology using ai blockchain cloud services and big data the sort of the key big hitters that you you hear about and that are often profiled along with open source databases and powerful analytics to allow it to deliver service for much reduced cost. And by giving people the opportunities, these underserved people that are in challenging circumstances by virtue of a roll of the dice, I think technology is able to give hope to those and to give opportunity to those and to give access really to those who would not normally be able to essentially participate in the fundamental building blocks of society technology have deployed well in the broader context of justice of financial inclusion of health all these things technology ultimately makes things more efficient which makes it cheaper and better rolling out and ultimately there are individuals and groups of individuals in societies and globally that don't currently have access to things that many of us enjoy because of they don't have the, the income levels to to sustain that and I'll, by deploying technology in such a way we're giving opportunity and, and access to those who wouldn't ordinarily be able to access that and that, I think that has a really self-perpetuating positive effect. 
like like trying to achieve a virtuous cycle essentially yeah, where absolutely. we're trying to build on more positive impact yeah you say it much better than me that's why you're the host <laughs> <laughs> i could just summarize uh very very briefly it's uh you know it's just building on your your talents here it's a skill <laughs> and laura how about yourself so i think i truly believe that everyone working on these technologies is excited to be developing some, you know, this incredibly revolutionizing technologies and to be working on the most important and fundamental challenges that face our society today. So I think that's really undeniable, but historically, you know, we haven't been good at communicating. And I think that's sort of one of the themes that we've covered during our session. So I'm hopeful that the next decades will see us sort of learning to talk about these technologies and helping people understand them and helping, you know, stakeholders regulate them more effectively. So yeah, I'm positive that we'll, you know, we'll learn to be asking better questions and having better conversations about what we want the future of technology to look like. And hopefully we'll, you know, develop technologies that are more expansive and, and positive and regenerative. I really like that in particular, the part where you mentioned asking better questions. I feel like a lot of times people turn to us lawyers for, you know, kind of answers to issues that come up. And a lot of times what we do is also to really just help clients ask better questions and thereby arrive at, at better answers at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And I think legal advisors will have a key role to play in sort of helping our clients get there, right? Right. Okay. Well, thanks very much, both of you, for joining today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. And I'm a big fan of the podcast. And yeah, great to be here and listen to your dulcet tones. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for having us. It was a great discussion. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast by visiting our website. Email any questions or feedback that you have to richard.kim at cliffordchance.com. And on that note, I actually wanted to briefly have a shout out to this person I'll call MB, who emailed me and said she had two matters of particular interest from our podcast, that global taxonomy was one point which she thinks is crucial for consistent change and the impact on small developing countries like where she practices and climate change as a motivation for social change, where we need to kind of explore the concept of just transition, especially ensuring women are not left behind. So thank you very much for that, for this feedback, MB. And you can follow Clifford Chance on LinkedIn. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. The content of this podcast does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. Specific legal advice about your specific circumstances should always be sought separately before taking any action.